Church. My name is uh, Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Thanks for listening, and if you'd like to support the ministry, the mission that God is doing here in the uh, Lincoln Park area through St. James, please go to our website and uh, donate online. Thanks for listening. and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo shirt because it's like I like to be formal but I also like to party. I like to party so I like my Jesus to party too. What movie is that from? Yes sir. The story, the legend of Ricky Bobby. Uh, as they're sitting around the dinner table, right, and Ricky Bobby is singing, or he's uh, praying to baby Jesus, and he can't get it out of his head. Uh, and then uh, finally, Cal Nowton Jr., shake and bake, came in with his vision of who Jesus is, uh, and it's party Jesus, right? He's wearing, I think he's also wearing a Leonard Skinner shirt or something like that, or Leonard Skinner's playing or something like that, but uh, uh, party Jesus. Um, you know, we can laugh at that. And uh, I suppose part of us might think when we're watching that movie, it might be a little sacrilegious to talk about Jesus like this. But I think uh, there's some truth to Cal Nowton Jr.'s understanding of Jesus. He does like to party, and he loves to be the life of the party, especially when things seem uh, grim and dim. That's when Jesus pumps it up a little bit to give us life. And we see that today in today's gospel lesson, and I pray that you see that. And quite honestly, I hope you kind of see Jesus kind of like Cal Nowton Jr. He is the life of the party. He's come to give us life in this uh, crazy world. Let's see how he does that. In John chapter 2, John shows us, tells us about this great event. And it seems when you first read about this wedding, everybody knows it, right? Wine to, or water to wine miracle. There's so many jokes about it. I mean, most of America, whether you're church going or not, it's a very common miracle of Jesus that people know. But it seems so insignificant if you think about it. You turn water to wine. I mean, it's a big deal, but it sounds like a parlor trick. Uh, but I would say there's a lot more to it. So in John chapter 2, we see uh, Jesus. Uh, John tells us this. He says, on the third day, there was a wedding. Now, it's weird that John's counting days. So I would say you should take that, that number seriously on the third day. I mean, you almost want to say what? On the third day, what? What happened on the third day? He rose again from the dead. I would strongly suggest John is giving us a little preview of the greatest parlor trick, if you will, the death and resurrection of Christ, right? So on the third day, there is a wedding. And it, that's not bad, man. When Jesus rose from the dead, there was a wedding. There was God reaching down and grabbing us back and renewing us and giving us life, right? So here's Jesus. The third day, there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Doesn't name her, which is important. Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding, which I think is it's kind of funny. I always tell my, I've used this a couple times for wedding sermons, and I will begin by saying, commenting on how hard it is to pick wedding guests, right? Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's one of the first arguments that a couple has because the wife or the spouse or one of the spouses wants to invite 
everybody, right? You want to invite, you can only pay for so many. And there's always, you know, Uncle Larry, who's usually on the floor drunk after two beers and embarrassing himself, right? So you don't want to invite him. Imagine this couple in Cana looking at their wedding list. No-brainer. We're inviting Jesus, right? <laughs> and I always encourage couples, not a bad idea to invite Jesus to your wedding. And this couple did exactly that. So Jesus comes with his posse. He's got his disciples there. I was going to title this Wedding Crashers, but I didn't want to get you any wrong ideas there from that movie. So they come to the wedding, and then John says that the wine ran out. This is not a normal occurrence, especially back then. It was a big deal to throw a party. No matter how much money you had, no matter how wealthy you were, when your kid got married, you threw a party. You were bragging to the world how awesome it is that you're getting her out of the house. I mean, that you are celebrating this marriage. But really, and it would be a statement to your community, that party. It was a big deal to do it. And you would, you would hire out, you know, you get, get servants, you would do everything. I mean, we think that we put a lot of money in the weddings, which we do, and it might be insane. <laughs> But back then it was. And you know what? Sometimes I, 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 uh, I get on couples like, listen, you don't need to make it expensive. There's other more important things to do. But you know, I don't know. It is a big deal. You're celebrating one of the most important, if not the most important thing in your life, a wedding, a marriage. You're no longer alone. And so they would throw a party. And so for the wine to run out, that is shameful. It's embarrassing. It, it would, would not be embarrassing today, right? If we go over, we got our, our wonderful auction night coming up here, the Travers Gala. Is the wine going to run out? No. Okay, make sure. But if it did, how embarrassing that would be. Because just imagine the, the people there at the party, and the wine runs out. Someone gets a hold of this, and they start spreading rumors. The husband must not have a very good job, or, or mom and dad really must not be as wealthy as I thought they were you know, it's, it's embarrassing. Oh, they're poor, right? Or they don't plan ahead very well. They're unorganized. It's shameful. It would have been shameful for the couple back then. Terribly shameful. It would have caused an argument between the two spouses, right? They'd be freaking out on one another. I thought you're supposed to take care of that, right? So things are, are not going well. And maybe you know what it's like to have the wine run out in your life. Maybe you know what it's like to be ashamed, embarrassed. And not just because of poor planning, but maybe because of poverty. Maybe because of your sins. Maybe because of something you've done and everybody knows it. And sometimes it's hard to show up at school. Maybe it's hard to show up. The family gatherings, or maybe it's something private, but you feel the weight of your shame, and you feel embarrassed even to call upon God for forgiveness. I bet you know what it's like to feel like the, the wine's running out your party, or maybe it's health, or just life in general. Well, what happens when things look dim? When you feel like the wine's gone, the life is gone in your party of life, Mary 
the mother of Jesus, knows exactly what to do. She goes to Jesus. And it's funny because you think about it like, you really do think like, really? Is she pulling this one? You know? Going to go to Jesus for a little, get some wine? Is that what she, you know what I mean? Like all the things that Jesus has come to do and that's what she's going to grab him for? But I just think, again, Mary provides this perfect example. And that's why she's not named, by the way, because she is the, she's the Christian. She is the first believer in Jesus. She's a role model in the faith in that sense. So when she sees a struggle and things aren't going well, she goes to Jesus. Even if it seems insignificant of all things to ask God to keep the party going, she goes to Jesus. But she does. And I strongly suggest that should encourage you that you should never think that something's too insignificant for God, as if he doesn't care how you're doing, how your job is going. Of course, if he doesn't care about this sin or that sin, that struggle you have. Go to Jesus. Mary goes to Jesus. And uh, tells him what's up. And Jesus says to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour is not yet come. And Bear, don't talk like that to your mother. Don't call your mom woman <laughs> when uh, she says, Hey, go out and shovel the sidewalk. I don't want to hear, well, Jesus said, woman, has nothing, no concern of me. No, don't do this. Only Jesus can do this. But I want you to hear it a little differently in first century Judaism and in Greek. It's not as put-offish. It's a polite way of speaking to your mom. The point is, my hour's not yet come. What does that mean? What is Jesus' hour? John tells it time and time again. He calls it the hour. What is the hour? The ultimate hour. What did Jesus come to do? Die on the cross. Pronounce it is finished. To pay the price for all of our sins and to rise again to kill death. That's the hour of Jesus. That's the big deal to Jesus. That's what his mind is bent on right now even. He is focused like a laser on that mission, and nothing will stop him. That's his hour. And so here he is at this wedding, and his mother wants him to do this cute parlor trick to keep the party going, and Jesus is obsessed with that hour. But do you think prayer works? Mary does. She ignores her son <laughs> and tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Which is classic Mary. Just like when the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you're going to have a child. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be, whatever it is. Seems crazy, don't get it, let it be, right? Whereas Zechariah, when he was told he's going to have a miracle child, he starts doubting the whole thing and asking questions, right? A good believer, Mary trusts Jesus is her Savior too. And she keeps praying, may you do the same when the wine is out in your life. And by the way, for those that don't think Christians should drink alcohol, that's not the point of the sermon. <laughs> but for your friends, <laughs> your good Christian friends, that uh, I, was, I was down in Appalachia for a couple years as a pastor, and uh, my neighbor was down the hill across the road, not much, and I would go down with a bottle of beer in my hand 
to his house, and I heard about that from some neighbors down there. Your pastor drinks? Church attendance went up. Anyhow. But Jesus, and honestly, though, Jesus is here. He's at a party. They're drinking wine. It's not non-alcoholic wine, and they're enjoying the wonderful gift of marriage. It's okay, right? We'll see more about that in a second. So his mom says to his servants, do whatever he tells you, whatever he says, because he is the Savior. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he's going to do it, but whatever he says works. That is faith. Whatever Jesus says works. How about this? Take and eat. This is my body and blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you think it really is the body and blood of Jesus? Yeah, it is. Why? Because he says so. He rose from the dead. You can trust it. That's so huge. Baptize, make disciples by baptizing. Well, it's just water, pastor. What can that do? Don't talk to me. Talk to Jesus. He can do it. If he says you're going to make a disciple by baptizing, it works. If he says give out the body and blood of Christ, it will forgive people their sins, it is and it does. Shut it. He's risen. That's what Mary does. Do whatever he says. And so Jesus, uh, is, so Jesus does what his, what his mom, we're not going to go there though. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. And they each held about 20 to 30 gallons. And so what they would have for uh, synagogue Jews in, the, uh, in Jesus' day, uh, early Judaism, and some Jews would still, still do this today, They've got these water purification. It's not for washing your hands, though it's good to wash your hands. But they're not cleaning themselves from germs. They have it there to wash themselves from sin, from uncleanness, which is an Old Testament term for sin. And they've been outside, and they've been talking. They might have talked to, they might have touched a sinner. They might have done something wrong, and now they're going to eat. You wash your hands and you sort of ritually are cleaning yourself and reminding yourself that you are a sinner, that you've screwed up, and that the world's full of sin, and that God gets to clean you. So it's not, it's not a coincidence that these jars are there. So Jesus says, take those jars. They're used for cleaning people of their sins. You get where this is going? And fill them with water. And so they filled them to, with water, and John says they filled them to the brim. Because that's how God does everything. He does it all, all the way, overflowing. It's how he takes care of us. It is how he saved us. No one is partially saved. No one is partially forgiven. Nobody is almost to heaven. You either are in Christ completely or you are not. That's how Jesus does it. There are no percentages or fragments or fractions in God's math. It's all or it is none. And so they fill it up overflowing. And then Jesus says, dip it in, take it to the host of the party. Back then, you'd have a host in charge of the whole thing, probably a relative of the groom. And so they take it to the, to the host. He drinks it. And how it happened, I don't know, but on its journey from them to his lips, it turned to wine. And the host says something awesome here. Everyone usually serves 
the craft beer and the French Merlot first. And then the natural light and the Boone's Farm. Right? Now why is that? Because people are, right, the honeymoon's first, the, the good times are first, the good, because you're, you're sober and you're going to enjoy the taste, but once you see people are having fun, you're going to bring out the cheap stuff. Tell me Jesus doesn't understand good wine and beer. <laughs> and he's certainly not against it. That's what you do, right? Because you can't afford to have the good stuff the whole time because that's, that's how we work. And also, we're cheap sons of guns as well. So we're not going to keep on giving you the best stuff. Once we see you're having fun, if we can get it cheaper, that's what we're going to do. That's how human beings work. But this guy points out, usually that's how it works. But this time, you've saved the best for last, which is ridiculous and contrary to how the world works. What a party. Jesus is the life of the party. He is not just the life of the party. He doesn't just keep it going. He fills it up and makes it better in our lives. You know, I, I first reading this for a while, I always struggled with this because, because after this, look at this later on. So this miracle occurs. John says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana and Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And I always thought, like, that's going to be a big deal, right? Like, the disciples believed in Jesus after just turning water. I mean, I'm not saying it's nothing, turning water to wine, but you'd think it'd be a bigger miracle that would blow the disciples away. But this is the one that caught their attention, and there's a reason why. It's not just a clever, you know, trick to keep the party going. This miracle is what the Old Testament's all about. You see, in the Old Testament, and all those disciples knew it, a sign of God's coming, a sign of the rescue of Israel and the restoration of all things was that there would be free food and wine flowing for all people. Isaiah 25, I read it at every funeral. There's nothing better than this, this verse. It's so beautiful. And those disciples knew this verse, 25, 6 through 9. Isaiah says, on the, this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, not just Jews, all peoples, sinners, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear, and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away the tears of all faces and the disgrace, the shame of all peoples. And it will be said on that day, on that day when that happens, people are going to say, this is our God. We waited for him and he has saved us. This verse was read regularly in the synagogues. This verse, those disciples knew as they saw their world being emptied by sin and death, their own lives full of sin and death and screwed up and messed up. These guys look forward to that day that Isaiah talks about where there'll be food flowing, where the feast won't go bad, where the wine won't run out. And so when Jesus did that, they thought exactly about this verse and many other verses that talk about the day of the Lord. When the poor will be rich and the weak will be strong and the dead will be raised up. And the hunger, hungry will be fed. And the thirsty quenched. 
Jesus came to do just that. This party was a symbol of it. But as I said, he was on his way to the cross because on the cross is his hour where he took our empty lives, empty of our actions and our sins and our hatred for one another, empty because of death and our mortality. And he emptied himself out. Dying for you and dying for me and dying for that wedding couple. And three days later rose again and he basically told the disciples, go and fill people's cups up. Go and make disciples of all nations. He might as well have said, go and find empty people, empty lives who are lacking, who are wanting, who are guilty, who are ashamed. And fill them up. That's what happens in baptism. You are filled up with the water of God. You are changed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life of the party today. Because we know no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad you feel, what your, whatever challenges you have, your wine's running out, Christ has already filled those cups. Because you know one thing, you will be okay. Christ has paid the price for your sins. He will raise you up from the dead. Nothing can stop you. It's going to be all right. And if you doubt that, our Lord provides a party every Sunday miraculously turning not water to wine, but bread and wine into the body and blood of his son that gives us forgiveness. Isn't it awesome? Every Sunday is a wedding reception where we eat divine food and are connected to the divine Lord and reminded and given life. So come with empty cups, and if you feel like your party's running out and things aren't going well, you come on up and receive this special wine and bread, the body and blood of Christ. And may that keep and sustain you as you wait, because you're going to one day say what Isaiah said, because a party is coming. You haven't seen nothing yet. When Jesus, the groom, comes for his bride, sinners, you and I and raises up the dead, and we will eat, and we will drink, and you will hang out with those who have gone before you, those who are now dead, those that you mourn, and you'll no longer see sin, and you'll no longer see Satan, and you'll no longer see death. That's a party, and it's coming in Christ. May he preserve us till that glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen.